Welcome to the Grace Capital City Podcast. We are a community of Jesus followers located in Washington, D.C., working to see God's kingdom come through worship, family, and justice. For more information about our church, go to gracecapitalcity.com. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoyed this week's message. If you don't know who I am, that would be weird because Chris just said it. I'm Dylan. I am the college uh, ministry director for, what do we call us, the Pink Starburst? This is my third time preaching, but only the first time in front of the college students, which feels on purpose because, I don't know, I feel like they'll hype me up too much. But yes, we're currently in our Romans series, and uh, we are continuing by going into Romans 13, Those of you who do know what Romans 13 says are already nervous. And those of you who don't, buckle up. This is a fun one. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, because if I'm up here, I'm going to defend the Bible app of my life. You have every translation of the Bible in your phone for free. That is a gift better than gold. And people keep on, especially you hear all these, or your Bible apps, don't get on Candy Crush. It's It's not 2012. We're not on Candy Crush anymore. Let me... (laughs) Let me just read my Bible, please, I'm begging you. But yes, uh, we're going to be starting off by reading verses 1 through 7, and I'll be reading out of ESV. So I'll begin. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. I love how nervous everybody is already, you know? Just the small gasp that I heard from that. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoers. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for authorities are ministers or servants, in other translations, of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, and respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. I need to begin what I'm saying by going through what this is not saying. Okay? Again, we're all really nervous. I promise this will be cool. So it is important to understand that this verse by no means is saying that government is 100% justified in everything that they do. Let me say that again. This verse, this passage is by no means saying that the government is justified in everything that they do. And it is important to understand this because this verse and this passage in particular has been used against the people of God to keep them in oppression. There was a real, genuine fear that there was going to be some sort of police shooting in this country and this week, and then I would have to come up here and preach on this, and people would hear it as me saying that the government is always justified in what they do. We know that to not be true. 
we know that is not the case. And over the years, people have been lost in this passage because the Bible has immense power. The Word of God has immense power, and that power can be used to bring life and healing, but that power can also be used to subjugate and to bring death. And we have seen the ramifications of that before. There is a version of the Bible called the Slave Bible. And that Bible was given to slaves on the plantations with verses about God of liberation cut out of them and a lot of verses about respect for authority and all subjugation in there. And those people, like those slaves, were taught that God made them subservient because that's the way that it was and God doesn't care about freedom. That is not true to who God is. That is not the character of God. Our God is a God of liberation, our God is a God of freedom, and our God is a God of justice. And if you miss that and if you get hung up on that, you're going to miss the truth and the work that God has in this. Are we all on the same page? That's good. That wasn't a loud yep, but we're going to rock through it. (laughs) So I was thinking about this. I was going through this passage in a lot of ways, and I was like, how do I get this right? What, like, defense do I need to be like, this is why it doesn't say that? And, like, I was workshopping this message with Chris, and Chris was like, you have, like, 14 examples. You maybe need to say two, because who's going to listen to 14 examples of, like, in this thing and blah, 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 blah. But I want to draw attention to two things, which are the historical context and the authorship. The historical context is that this is going to the Church of Rome during the reign of Nero. If you're not a classicist, which I'm assuming most of you aren't, then you don't really know who Nero is. Nero is a, a Roman emperor who's known for two big things mainly. One is torturing and killing Christians, and two is playing the lute during the Great Fire of Rome, apparently, which is a myth about the Great Fire burning and him not caring about the people dying, and he's just playing the guitar while he's watching the campfire, which is the city of Rome. That is just a myth, but the fire is real, and the consequences of that fire were that Nero used it, blamed the Christians on making the fire, and then killed and persecuted more and more Christians. This is going to an audience that is used to unjust persecution under the law. That is so important to remember. It's also important to remember who Paul is. If Paul believed that you listen to every single thing that the government says, and they're always right. The book of Acts will be two pages long. That's not how that works. Like, there's so much, I just, you know? I feel like a lot of the acts of the apostles were to preach the word, get arrested for preaching the word, maybe break out of jail to preach the word again, or just just wait your time. So, like, all of this is going to say there's just a wealth, a wealth of examples of just, like, why this isn't about complete subjugation under the law. That is so important to get into our minds. With that being said, what is it saying? When you hear those things, what is going on? Paul isn't saying that government is good. We're getting lost on the wrong question. Paul is setting up a scenario. He's not giving the answer in this first part. There are seven more verses to go you got to read the whole thing in all of context. And just a side note, just a beat to take, I feel like in college, I, that's when I started taking a lot of my uh, 
theology courses and a lot of these things about like really understanding the Bible. And I was frustrated about like, man, I feel like I'm not really understanding the Bible. I need a college course to understand the Bible. That's not true. If you read four verses before this, Paul's saying about how the Lord put the Pharaoh in place as a ruler, as they're talking about God appointed these people just to see him fall to prove how good he is. There are people that are put in power who are not good, that are appointed there by God for a time to then bring about a greater liberation by the people who choose to honor God by what the Lord has for them at that time. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So the scenario is if we are a human being on this planet, there will always be someone that we answer to. There's going, always going to be some hierarchy. When, like, when Paul is saying, let every person be subject to authority, that's not him saying, hey, you all have to listen to authority. It's like, hey, you're a human on this earth. It's going to happen. As long as there have been people on this earth, there has been hierarchy on this earth. The question is not if that hierarchy is holistically good or holistically right or holistically just. It is what is our response, whether our king is good, whether our king is bad, whether our president is good, whether our president is bad, whether our comptroller is good, whether our comptroller is bad, what is our response to doing that as Christians? And with that, that also comes with the sword. The thing is not, Paul is not saying that if you do all the good things all the time, the sword will never come. Paul is saying, what do we do as Christians knowing that the sword might come at any time and there's nothing that we on our own merit can do to affect the ways that the people in power wield the sword? Well, he gives a very clear answer in the next few verses. If you continue on in verse 8, owe nothing to no one except love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is near to us, nearer now than we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us not walk improperly in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The way that we do good is not to follow the laws written down solely. The way that we do good is to do the capital L law, which is to love one another as you love yourself, which does a lot of times include following the little L law. It's illegal to kill people, you know, not just like because the people up in charge say that it's bad, but because it's a really bad thing to do. That's not really loving your neighbor if you kill your neighbor. It's not really loving your neighbor if you steal from your neighbor. It is 
not loving your neighbor, if you defraud your neighbor. There are things that have been put in place that the government is trying to approximate the love of God. If we are doing good by God, if we are following God's words, it says that we are becoming like Jesus. In another translation, it says we are putting on the clothing of Jesus. So then, the question is, which is a very cliche question, and I'm going to get a lot of eye rolls when I say it, but what would Jesus do? You know? The fact that that's become such a cheesy statement is so, like, bad, because that's, like, the whole thing. That's the whole Christian faith is like, hey, what would Jesus do, literally and actually? But Jesus would sit by those who are hurting. Jesus would hear stories from communities that he is not familiar with. Jesus would weep with people because he did. Jesus would feed the hungry because he did. Jesus would not judge people based on their status, based on their political affiliation, based off of their background, because he did. This is all, these are all the things that Jesus did. Also understanding that Jesus, his greatest miracle came from him being a victim of a sham case due to the government. We all understand this, we just celebrated Easter. But from that, from that darkest moment, even in the worst parts of the government, comes a light, comes a holistic, by the blood. We just sang so much about by the blood. By his blood, we got freedom. And by his blood that was caused from the state, we get freedom. Now, there are good actors in the government. I'm not, this is not, please, I beg of you, please do not email me about my anti-government thing. I'm not. I love, government's really cool and dope. I wouldn't have moved to D.C. if I didn't think that. So, <laughs> there's like a, it's just so, please, I'm begging you, please don't email me about that. There are good people that have enacted good things in the government, and they should be honored for that. There's so many welfare programs, there's so many things that help out people that are in hard situations, that are because people in the government mobilize to help others. There are also things in this government that have been structured because a government is made up of broken people like we all are, people who are afraid of scarcity, people who are afraid of not having enough, people of, who are afraid of being on the outside, there are things that are structured that leave people out and leave people oppressed. That's just a thing that we know. In that reality, in the station of who we are, what is our response? Our response is to love. Our response is to love holistically. Our response is to break boundaries of personal connection, not just stay in our bubble, not just stay in our own places, but to build bridges, to have dinner with people who we are not like. It is also to mobilize when we see things, when we see injustice, it's to mobilize in organizing, it's to mobilize in donating and to giving. The ways that we show our love is through our strive of justice. There is a quote by Cornel West that says, justice is just love in public. And we have to dedicate ourselves to that act of love. I'm not also saying this in an isolation. You can see me, I'm a black man. For those who are listening on the podcast, I'm a black man. So, <laughs> sometimes I gotta clear it up. But, uh, <laughs> But, 
David really thought that was funny. <laughs> but that is like a thing that I've carried with me my entire life. I have never decided to stop being black. You know, that is a thing that has followed me. All of the things that I love and all the ways that people treat me come with that as well. Especially in the time of 2020 when racism became bad again. You know, that time where all the black squares were being posted. But also, in the 23 years of my life that preceded that, like, I was getting followed in stores because people who were in power thought that I was stealing. I was, like, being told I couldn't hang out in certain areas because police were, like, heavily monitoring. There are things that are important for y'all to understand through my context as a black man. There is a fear that black people have of the state that my mom has especially said a lot of things like, you need to make sure that all your tags are in order. You need to make sure that all these things are in order because in the same way that Paul's like, the sword will come for you, my mom is like, the sword will come for you. Like there's things that like, there are people in communities that are being affected like the early church that change your lens that change your lens, make sure that all your things are updated, make sure that you're not speeding, make sure that you're not in places you're not supposed to be because the sword will come for you. Make sure you're as good as you possibly can be or else the, some, the sword will come for you. Make sure that you're on your best conduct, make sure you have straight A's, make sure you're well-spoken, make sure you're doing all this stuff. There's this labor that is taken on due to my identity as a black man in order to avoid the sword. And that is just reality that the church in this early time was also going through. Again, people were being blamed for crimes in the state that they weren't committing on a massive, massive scale. And the price was their lives. Romans is a dense, 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 dense. You know how much. We've never had a supplementary class for just one, as far as I know, for just one book that is just like, hey, we're going to chew through this together. I think I was talking to some of the college students at one point, and they went through a Romans class, and then they had an ice cream party as like a, hey, thanks for getting through that. That was a lot. <laughs> ah, that's just cinnamon water that I'm drinking. <laughs> you know, I just, I can't ignore it. But there's so much that is in here and a lot of it we can just put as like, this is something that happened back then, but these are things that people in our communities are really facing. So the question is, what is our response? It is to love like Jesus. It's a very simple answer. And again, loving like Jesus, a lot of times is fulfilling the lowercase l law. Sometimes it is organizing. Sometimes it is doing what you can to make sure that everyone is loved. But also when we are loving, we are loving authentically. We're not doing it because we should be loving. We're doing it because it is the overflow of who we are. Paul loved his community so well, not because he should, because it looks good, but because he was so changed and transformed by the love of Jesus that it was a natural overflow of who he was. The people that lived around Jesus did not just love people well and feed the hungry and perform all of these miracles because that's what they should do. It's because it is an overflow of who they were because they were so close to Jesus. And if we are putting on the clothes of Jesus, if we are being wrapped in the love of Jesus, that should be our natural response too. 
It's that simple. So I just want to leave you with just this urge and this nudge towards really dedicating ourselves to the work of justice. Now, I'm not going to list every single justice opportunity that we have, because I don't need to. Go to gracecapitalcity.com justice, and you'll have them right there. But also, it is not just a thing that is as, as simple. It's like the thing that I said the last time that I preached. I feel like the answers that we're looking for are not so simple to find just in the written word because the Lord knows that we would look for those answers instead of looking for God to help us guide to what we need to do. So my charge to you is to really plumb the depths of your soul. What are the ways that I need to extend and broaden my horizons? What are the ways that I need to build a bridge towards people? What are the ways that I need to love? What are the ways that I need to give? What are the ways that I need to be? Because, just to close it out on this part, there is a time coming. The night has fallen on this earth. The night has fallen on this earth. There's darkness everywhere. But there is a moment coming when we all mobilize that is bringing a new light that no one is prepared for a new kingdom that no one is prepared for. And you can see this again through the life of Jesus. Jesus, through his work, through the way that he loved, healed people. Jesus wasn't worried about appearances, and Jesus also wasn't checking out the whole time. I think that's a thing that Christians fall into from time to time, is that they really love that verse that's like, and by they, I mean we, I fall into this as well, that You're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And like, yes, not supposed to be of the world, got it. You're still called to be in the world. You are still called to be in your communities. You're still called to take part in your communities. You're still called to take action around the people around you. It is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that cannot be just done as a distance. Like, at a distance, I'm sorry. It is done close. It is done by building all of these connections. It is done by partaking, being active. Jesus, when he saw people weeping, when he saw the blind, when he saw the crippled and the lame, he didn't say, I'm not going to do that because I'm waiting for this big thing that I got in a few years that I'm just going to die and come back and it's going to solve everything so I can't help you in this moment. His work, his work was not just to bring resurrection life. It was to heal and to bring wholeness along the way. So the way that he fed wasn't in addition to his work, it was his work. The way that he built bridges and eliminated shame wasn't in addition to his work, it was his work. The way that he shamed those who thought that they knew better, that discriminated, that said that these people were not worthy because of their past or their heritage, and the way that he brought honor to those in the lowest positions, and the way that he dined, and the way that he built these friendships with people was not in addition to his work, it was his work. The holistic work of Jesus is to bring life to the dead places. So our holistic work should be to bring life to the dead places in our communities. It is not just you and God, it is you and God and everyone around you. We are in this together. 
God did not make us on an island. God did not make us alone. God made us to be with everyone in community. God functioned the world, created the world to work together in community. God said it is not good for men to be alone and then created Eve. God, his entire picture was of a community of all of us together. So why do we ignore the people that are around us in our, governor, in our governments and in our communities? No matter who is in charge, no matter who is on the throne, Jesus is ultimately on the throne. And because of that, we are called to follow his law, which is to love one another. And that also includes following the, ca- the small law, which is like, don't do tax fraud. That's bad. <laughs> but like also just to look out for one another. The thing that is our guiding compass is not fear of government. It is not shame. It is not the desires of the flesh. It is God and what he wants us to do on this earth. And that is the most important thing that you can get out of this passage, is to put on the clothes of Jesus and do what he wants us to do on this earth.